And now, coming to you from the classiest radio station on the air, this is... You're listening to As One Does, a true crime podcast. Dobby, are you ready for murder? I'm Meg, here with my pit bull Dobby, talking at you from the murderous Pacific Northwest in Washington State. Things get real murdery up here and all along the West Coast. I was inspired to start my own podcast through my true crime obsession. Although it is just me and my dog sitting here chatting up true crime, my podcast will naturally be sprinkled with sarcasm, some humor, many curse words, because why the fuck not? Okay, so we know this is a true crime podcast. Great. Fun times. Coming from Washington State and the West Coast, there is a fucking laundry list that never ends of true crime cases. Although I will talk about some of the more well-known killers from time to time, I want to focus more on not-so-well-known cases. The people who aren't talked about enough, or not at all. On As One Does, you'll find a reprieve from Death and Doom with tales of Dobby my dog, his current bow tie, current things that he is up to because he is quite the character, and most likely current books I'm reading. So, Join me every other week as I tell the tales of true crime, remembering the lives that have been lost to all the murdery motherfuckers out there. Before I get started, gotta thank the new Patreon subscriber, Zoe Rahimi. I do greatly appreciate it. I hope you're enjoying your backlog of episodes that you got. And for anybody else who wants to join Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances and check out the tiers. And also, if you just want to do a one-time donation, you don't have to do Patreon. You can just go to Venmo. You can go to at MC Podcast, make a small one-time donation, buy me a beer, cup of coffee, whatever the case may be. Um, after this episode, I will not read reviews. I do have more than a few reviews to read, but I'm going to save them for the next episode. And that does include uh, a nice little one-star review as well. So, with that being said, on with the show. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited adult themes language. So if you're easily offended, if you're easily triggered, then I highly suggest you turn this off now. And if not, just keep in mind, parental discretion is advised. Sean Dickus says he walked into a nightmare when he entered his house and found his wife, China, and 10-year-old son, Blake, dead Monday evening after he got off work. Franklin police are searching for the person who killed a woman and her 10-year-old stepson inside their home. Crime scene investigators spent the day at the house gathering more evidence, and so far they haven't identified any suspects in the murders of China Dickus and 10-year-old Blake. The coroner says China Dickus died of multiple stab wounds. Her stepson was also stabbed, but he died of blunt force trauma. <laughs> And it, it's pretty upsetting to me that someone could do that to his family like that. I mean, this is a new family that's starting out. There's a cry for help from everyone here. They want answers. They want justice. This makes no sense to any of us, and it doesn't make sense to the community. There is a lot of unanswered questions. A lot of people are asking the question, why? And there's really no answer as to why. Because it just can't go unsolved. They were just brutally, brutally killed for no reason. Detectives still haven't named any suspects. 
on Monday, July 24th, 2006, in Franklin, Indiana. At the time of the crimes, there was a population of about 22,800 people, so it's not a very big town. I've actually been to Franklin more than once. I've also been to Shelbyville down in that area. Uh, my sister graduated from college down in Franklin, so pretty nice. Not a bad little town, you know. Uh, people involved are China Dickus, age 26, Blake Dickus, age 10, and the father and husband, Sean Dickus, age 33. Sean and China were married for only about three years. Blake was China's stepson. They had also recently returned from a mission trip where they were in El Salvador. They were on a mission trip there through uh, their church, I believe. They lived in Brannigan Woods Subdivision, which is off of US 31 on the north side of Franklin. It was a new home. They had only lived there about a month. And here is the timeline of events. Early on in the day, China was supposed to drop Blake off at uh, his grandmother's house. And she called her and wanted to keep Blake a little bit longer. She wanted them to have lunch with, their, with his dad. Blake was to go to his biological mom's house later on that evening to watch it. They were going to go watch a movie. Between 12.45 p.m. and 1.45 p.m., Sean comes home from work for lunch. After he leaves, he goes back to work, and then later on comes back at right about 5 p.m. Sean comes home, he opens up the garage door, walks in. He noticed the garage door was open. He walks in and just finds an extremely bloody scene. China had been stabbed numerous times. Blake had been stabbed, asphyxiated, and his eventual cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. Sean at this time goes outside and he starts screaming uh, and he actually vomits out in the front yard and he calls 911 at approximately 5.14 p.m. After the police and the coroner show up, they're there for a little while. That, unfortunately, is when Blake's biological mother shows up. She hadn't heard from China or Blake, so she decided to drive over to the house, and that's basically the scene that she drove up to. A corner van and police tape and bad, bad situation. And, you know, this, this was a tough, a little bit of a tough episode. And, you know, I don't like doing episodes with kids, uh, this this is a very solvable case, though, so I felt like I really wanted to do it. That would put the crime between 1.45 and 5 p.m. Well, this is what Sean had to say about coming home. Quote, I remember pulling into the house. I didn't see anything unusual until I pulled into the driveway. I pulled into the garage and noticed the kitchen door was open to the garage. That's not unusual. Sometimes she'll leave the door open or be waiting there for me at the door. But that wasn't the case yesterday. I took off my shoes as usual. I entered the home. I noticed things were not right in the home, and I proceeded throughout the home and found my worst nightmare. It's just been unreal. It's unimaginable. I feel like I'm just along for the ride. End quote. 
there's limited information on this case, okay? So it's not going to be the longest episode in the world. Here's the evidence that the police have divulged. They are keeping a lot of information to themselves, and they actually just recently divulged more evidence in 2015, like nine years later, and we'll get to that here in a second. But the police wouldn't say much. They would not say the method of entry. They would not say whether or not China was sexually assaulted. They would not say if anything was taken from the home. They won't say the time of death. And they will not say the type of weapon used, whether it be China or Blake. No type of weapon used. They won't divulge that. They did say they got a 2x4 with blood on it at the scene. But they won't say whose blood is on it. And they won't say if it's from the scene or if it was brought there. Now here are some of the facts involved in this case. And this is where it gets a little bit weird. There were multiple break-ins in this area. There were four burglaries that same year. And there was one the following year. All of them shared the same method of entry. It was T-shaped cuts in the screens of windows... All of them were in the daytime between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. All of them were Monday through Friday. And all of them were in a half-mile radius of the Dickus home. There was actually one robbery on the same day of the Dickus murders. And it was on the same street, even. Four houses away. And it should also be known that all the break-ins had the fridge ransacked. The neighbor's house, the one four houses away... That was robbed that same day of the murders. There was some light ransacking. They went through and they tore up some rooms. They were looking for whatever they could. They stole some bicentennial coins. Some jewelry. They stole a class ring with a square red stone. The class ring said Main Township High School East Warriors. And they also stole a one gallon Tupperware pitcher. That was full of lemonade at the time. And then they also took some food from the fridge. The area break-ins were in Brannigan Woods, Oakleaf Manor, Cumberland Commons, and Deer Trace. should also be known that there was lots of construction going on at this time. Like I said, the Dickus home was only like a month old. It was a super new home. It was a very new subdivision. They were still constructing the subdivision. They were doing construction on the school. All of this stuff was under construction and being built at this time. Should also be known, later on, an inmate from Florida contacted the Franklin police and did confess to these murders. But since the cops held back info, they were pretty easily able to prove that the guy was not even a suspect. Sometimes, you know, that's why the cops do things like that. And in this case, it did work. Now, before we start going through a couple of the theories, like I said, there's not very much information. The cops have not divulged very much information on this case. Before we get into the theories, let's hear a word from our sponsor. So let me ask, do you experience stress or anxiety, chronic pain, or have trouble sleeping at least once a week? You are not alone. Many of us do. Personally, I do struggle with anxiety. I also struggle with, you know, having a hard time sleeping at night. I use Feel CBD to help me conquer both, and it's all natural. That's one of the best parts. You know, I was looking for something that could help that was not pharmaceuticals, 
That's when I discovered Feels. It is a premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep every month. It naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And like I had mentioned, it helps me sleep at night, and it really helps my anxiety a lot. It's super easy to take. You just place a few drops of feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. And I mean, they give you like a little eyedropper with it, and literally you just pop a few drops underneath your tongue, just hold it there for a minute. Super easy. Now, if you're new to CBD and you're kind of cautious, you don't know what's going on, Feels offers a free CBD hotline and text message support to help guide your personal experience. Feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high, there's no hangover, there's no addiction. Now, you can join the Feels community to get it delivered to your door every single month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. Feels has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash mysterious, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash mysterious to become a member and get 50% off. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash mysterious to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com slash mysterious. Try it out today. You can thank me later. Now I know a lot of you are thinking, the husband did it. You know what I mean? Because that's always the very first natural reaction. The husband did it. Okay, a little bit about Sean Dickus, okay? He was the last person to see them alive. He was also the person to find them dead. It is stated that Sean did have financial problems. One of the things that some people point out, when he was interviewed, he was always very calm and very collective about everything. Okay, and one of the weirder parts as well is that as of 2015, I can't speak for now, he still lived at the house. He might even still be living at the house. I'm not 100% sure on that one. Now, somebody did go through, I read like a WordPress article, and somebody went through and, and analyzed his interviews. And they picked out certain phrases, certain words that he said, his demeanor, things like that. And they had said that he showed deception. Okay, I don't know who the person was who analyzed this. Is like I said, it was a it was a WordPress article. All right, and they said that he knew more than what he said, but this analysis is after the fact. Okay, Sean Dickus was cleared a month after the murders occurred. He went through extensive questioning with local law enforcement, with federal law enforcement. He was polygraphed by the FBI, and the dude has rock-solid alibis from co-workers at work. Now, don't get me wrong, there is always that chance that, you know, maybe he had a co-worker clock him out and he left. You know, that's always a possibility. But when you have various co-workers that can pinpoint him and their eyewitness accounts and be like, no, he's here this time, this time, this time, he... They, ba they went through all the channels to basically rule this guy out. Unfortunately, one of the theories is the ex-wife, Christina Dickus. She had said in an interview shortly after the murders, quote, who would do something to a little boy screaming for his life and trying to get out? 
End quote. Now, people took this way out of context. People literally took this as to where, well, how does she know that he was screaming for his life and trying to get out? I tell you right now, watch one interview with this woman. You can find them all over YouTube. I left her clips out of the audio clips that I played at the beginning because this woman is destroyed by this. She was destroyed. I honestly do not believe there is any way that she is any way connected with this. There is no way. All right, one of the other popular theories is construction workers. Like I had mentioned, there was lots of construction going on at this time in the subdivision. You know, they had the time frame. You know, all these burglaries and the murder happened middle of the day. All of them were through the week. The, the two by four, which was found at the scene, which the cops won't divulge any information or anything like that on. But there was a two by four found at the scene with blood on one of the ends of it. There's a lot of empty lots there, which, all, which also brings in the fact of possibly squatters. Okay. I could see squatters being a possibility, but at the same time, this is a small town. This isn't a huge city. Like, I'm pretty sure Franklin's homeless population is not the biggest, you know. It's a town of 23,000 people or so, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. Every small town has their problems. You know, I did see a lot of rumors of a lot of meth addicts, you know, through there, which this time frame... You know, meth was a screaming problem, still is, in, in Indiana and a lot of the upper Midwest and even the lower Midwest and South. I mean, pretty much everywhere, okay? And that would also fit the description of, say, the robberies. Somebody taking food. No meth head's going to steal your food, okay? No meth head's going to steal your food. But the other shit, like the robberies, you know, and obviously with the T-shaped the other break-ins, the T-shaped cut in the screens as a method of entry, it's habitual. Like, it was the same person. You know what I mean? More than likely the same person. It's the same MO across the board. So, we also have to take that into, con you know, into consideration as well. Another thing I want to point out is that the Johnson County Fair was going on at the time. Now, this would explain the time of year. And this would also explain why these all happened within a small time frame, all during the day. This would explain how somebody could do it and disappear so fast. This would also explain some of the food, drinks, that, you know, kind of ties in. That would explain some of the randomness, I guess you could say. You know, there's no real... I mean, there's an, there's an MO here, but not really. Like, there's an MO to a small extent, but overlooking the larger picture, they're different. The crimes are different. So, I mean, if that makes sense, if you understand what I'm saying there. Now, somebody did profile a possible suspect in this case. I cannot say 100% sure who this person was that profiled it, but... The person said it was more than likely a young, unsophisticated, impulsive teen who was emotionally immature, and one of the reasons would be the overkill of Blake, 
being he was you know the center of the rage and possibly center of you know he they were scared of him maybe he popped out of nowhere and scared him because adult males rarely focus violence on a child they were kind of possibly rattled or scared by Blake while they were trying to do or did whatever to China the person was not a pro criminal someone angry or acting out uh, didn't know anyone was home. That was a good possibility. And maybe China was the target. And then they were surprised by Blake. And again, the not a pro criminal suspect theory would fit the two by four that was found at the scene because that does fit the construction worker scenario as well. Now, here's one of the cool things about this case. And I say the, the word cool very, very lightly. In 2015, nine years after the murders happened, the VDOC Society gets involved. And for those of you who do not know what the VDOC Society is, holy shit, these are literally the superheroes of unsolved crimes. I'll give you a brief description here real quick. The VDOC Society was founded in 1990 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to further the resolution of long unsolved homicides. It is made up of volunteer forensic experts and investigators who serve as confidential consultants to assist law enforcement in solving difficult cold cases. Its members include profilers, criminologists, forensic scientists, medical examiners, active and retired law enforcement agents, prosecutors, polygraph examiners, and several others that are skilled in solving these kinds of cold cases. Now, when they got involved in 2015, that's when the info about the break-ins around the murder scene was actually disclosed to the public. Before the VDOC Society got involved, the cops didn't even tell anybody that these other break-ins had occurred around this area and at around this time. And as you guys know, I am not cop-hater or anything like that, and I understand Honestly, I really don't understand why they didn't divulge that information. That shit right there probably could have helped solve this a long time ago. And I'm sure they had their reasons for not divulging that information, and that's fine, and I'm not bashing them for it. I'm not a member of law enforcement, like I say every now and then. I'm the anti-cop who does cop shit. But I also have a huge respect for law enforcement and what they do, and that information was crucial. That should have been divulged in 2006. I think that would have helped out a lot but they until the Vidoc society got involved the police did not release that information to the public now in 2015 when they did get involved he basically went through the whole case and said listen put these little bits of information out to help like don't divulge everything but put these bits of information out so that's what they did right uh, one of the other pieces of information that they did put out was the method of entry into the Dickus home, which also coincides with all the other break-ins. The method of entry was a T-shape cut into the screen. Detectives and all law enforcement around believe that if they can solve the break-ins, they'll solve the murders, which makes fucking sense, which is why didn't you say this in 2006, guys? Come on. So check this out. In July of 2018, because of the April Tinsley case up here in Fort Wayne getting solved by DNA, the law enforcement decides to 
send in some of some of their evidence for retesting for DNA, okay? Because technology has dramatically improved over the course of time. And detectives, as of 2018 in July, were working with the Indiana State Police Crime Lab to have this evidence retested that was found in the home the day of the homicide. And as of now, January of 2020, there has been no word on that. But the law enforcement there in and around Franklin are very adamant that this case will eventually be solved by DNA. So... If you have any information that you can give to the Franklin Police Department about this case, about any of the evidence that I stated, especially the ring, bicentennial coins, things like that, call the Franklin Police Department at 317-346-1142. You can also remain anonymous by calling 317-346-1142. One one zero zero. A reward of $25,000 is being offered for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for the murders of Blake and China Dickus. Before we go, I do got to give a huge hats off to the Franklin Police Department. They are not letting this case go. Like, they are still adamantly working it. They will continue to retest evidence for DNA until they get a match, until the technology catches up with this crime, which it will one day. So, if you have any information, call those numbers that I stated, alright? With that being said, catch you folks on the flip side. Yeah.